From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. As one of the stars of Netflix's Glow, Betty Gilpin plays Debbie, whose relationship with her best friend Ruth is put through the ringer. It's the kind of role that she's been on the lookout for, and similarly, why she's drawn to another series, AMC and BBC America's Killing Eve. You know, I've talked before about how I feel like I have like a hundred women in my brain who take turns at the wheel, and that's often how I throw is like, okay, what woman is at the wheel in this sentence or when this person walks in? And um, I think a lot of times roles for women have asked for two of those brain women and been like, and, you know, don't show the other one. Don't show the one with blood in her teeth or the six-year-old that's screaming for help. Those are kind of ugly and unlikable. And we just want to see, like, supportive mom and uh, sexy friend or whatever. And to me... Sandra O oh and Jodie Comer are operating with all brain women at the wheel, just ripping the wheel from each other in one performance. Um, I just, I feel so inspired by it and like I could lift a car after watching it. On this edition of the podcast, we talked to Betty Gilpin about Killing Eve and how she's even regularly mistaken for that show star Jodie Comer. Plus, we talk about what's on tap for season three of Glow and a lot more. It's my favorite episode. My favorite episode. Episode. Let's talk TV. TV. My favorite episode makes me so. Welcome to Variety's My Favorite Episode. Let's give it up for your host, Michael Schneider. Thank you, thank you, DJ Omar Khan for the new theme song. It's my favorite episode, and this time out, we're talking to Glow star Betty Gilpin. Her pick for favorite episode is the season one finale of Killing Eve. It's called God, I'm Tired, and written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and directed by Damon Thomas. The episode first aired on May 27, 2018. In the episode, Eve, played by Sandra Oh, is fired from MI6, but she tracks down Villanelle, played by Jodie Comer, finding Villanelle's Paris apartment. The cat-and-mouse game leads to this moment, and Eve eventually stabs Villanelle, while Villanelle escapes, leaving us to wonder what's next. For Gilpin, she was drawn by the complex relationship between these two women, and how their mutual obsession with one another leaves them doing things you might not expect. At the end of season one, Eve could have ended things right there, but there's a part of her that admires Villanelle. I've never done anything like this before. It's okay. I know what I'm doing. That's wrong. Yeah. You can't. I can. We sat down with Betty Gilpin to discuss Killing Eve and how she needs to eventually appear on the show as Villanelle's lookalike sister. We also discussed how her show Glow is mixing things up as it returns for a third season this summer. But first, we discussed why she's left social media. I deleted Twitter. Um, 
uh, like a couple weeks ago and I feel so free and I've never been on Instagram. Yeah. 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 What made you decide to quit Twitter? Um, well, yeah, you're right. There's so much positive about it. It's hard. <laughs> exactly. To... <laughs> it's not a cesspool at all. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I realized that, um, you know, I was raised by two actors and they were mostly stage actors. And now being an actor, there's this other version of, I think social media can tell you a story about your career and your identity that's not true. Um, that it can sort of trick you into thinking that uh, the things that were meaningful to you aren't meaningful or that... Uh, you know, comparing yourself in an unhealthy way or just, I also think that amount of simultaneous validation and rejection or insult it coming at you both at once yeah. is so unhealthy for one's brain. Um, and you know, when I don't, when inevitably at some point in my life, whether it's a year from now or 30, when I don't work all the time, I, I want to also like myself and not equate my value with likes. Oh, God. But I also know that, you know, I, for some people it really works and it's a positive thing and a, a, a helpful career tool. And it just wasn't for yeah. me. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the all the trolls, right? I mean, it's at some and, point that's got to be just like, don't have time for that. Not even the trolls. Just, you know, I, I was pretty good at sort of ignoring them it, it just I was just uh I like I like a podcast and I like a uh a, a, a world where I'm allowed to be um flawed and ever-changing and questioning and I feel like social media wasn't that for me yeah and I also as an actor um as an actress, I feel like it's pretty easy to get trapped in kind of like, sometimes it feels like, you know, being an actress is like, you've got the like, uh, Joan of Arc, um, soup happening, but you've also got to commute upstairs to the Kylie Jenner cell to like sell yourself in order to get jobs where you can use the Joan of Arc soup. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I was worried that, Things like social media would trap me in the Kylie cell and cement over the trap door to the other part. Yeah. And I would just be there forever and not allowed to access the stuff that's the reason that I became an actor. It sounds so <laughs> pretentious, but I think uh, – and that that's an experience unique to me. I see all of my best, best friends very easily uh, able to commute between the two parts – and marry them in a beautiful way, and I just couldn't. Yeah, it's it's tough though. Um, and and by, by the way, going back to talking about podcasts in general, it's like right. almost forgetting that, of course, you work with the king of podcasts. Yes, I do, Mr. Mark Maron. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. So you you know a thing or two. I don't know how often he talks on set about the, that world, but uh, obviously yeah. that's my uh, favorite thing with Mark is when someone you know like a many times. Uh, like a background actor or, or, or just someone random will be like, hey, I hear you have a podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> As if it's like this little school play he's putting up or something or like a Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm 
like, it's one of the most successful. <laughs> and I right. always tease him. I'm like, you and your little Yeah, it's so cute. Yes. Like you turn on a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Never mind, like Obama was in your garage exactly. one yes. time. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I so embarrassed myself once, like right after he shot, like uh, taped the Obama episode. And it's yeah. just so exciting. Like, and I. Unbelievable. And so I randomly, I saw him like in front of a movie theater in Pasadena. And I don't know him. He doesn't know me. Yeah. But I felt the need as he was walking by me just to say like, Mark, great job with Obama. <laughs> like, Knowing Mark, he loved that. Why, like, I know he It did. was like the nerdiest, but I was just so excited for him yes, and for that. Totally. Was... The Keith Richards episode is amazing. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've listened to that one. It's, yeah, I love Mark Maron so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just shot, uh, so season three is in the can Season three is well. in the can, Do we yeah. know when we're seeing season three? I mean... I know. You know. I don't know if I'll get like yeah. a, a dart to the neck if I say it. I probably will, but I'm going to say the season of summer. <laughs> well, the, it's, uh, it's it must be odd because you're still talking about season two for Emmy consideration, yes. but you've already shot an entirely different year. Yes. And it sounds like, I mean, this is obviously a different season. You're in Vegas. It's, right. it's kind of a different uh, sort of It feels look. like a completely different show. I mean, I was joking with the uh, creators Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch that they really painted themselves into a corner where they have to reinvent the show every single season like maybe next season will be like on a circus cruise I mean it's just in space yes exactly a circus cruise in space which is sometimes what the show feels like when we're in a kitchen um, which is so much fun Uh, but uh, yeah it it totally feels like a completely different show this year Um, in the best way yeah. possible. I was going to say, do you like that? Kind of, it's it's sort of, you're, you're doing some new things. Yes, it's... I love it. Because even the most, you know, the, the dreamiest dream job is going to feel stale if you're doing the same stuff year after year. And the, it doesn't feel that way at all. It feels like I get to do... 10 different jobs you know I also get to play two different characters Debbie and Liberty Bell uh, who's you know and it feels like two different genres like one feels very sort of as as grounded as it can be kitchen sink and one feels like I'm in you know drag queen theater of the absurd in the funnest way possible well that's what's fun about glow too is that you know not only do you have a mix of comedy and drama but then you've got just the absurdity of you know the show within a show itself and and this in season two we get a chance to see even in one episode sort of you know basically what the show looks like and 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 that was a real departure from yes usual episodes of totally yes yeah, that that one was so fun to do. I mean, you know, it, it just Alice and Brie and I keep looking at each other like I can't believe they're letting us do this. And yeah. no one well, we especially that episode, we would do a take that was so over the top and we're like, okay, they're going to come in and be like tone it down. And if anything, they were like, yeah, go go crazier, more. Yeah. <laughs> um which is such a relief to me because I have really spent my career being told to do less and tone it down for sure. Um, I, I, my mom is a real character actress and I was sort of raised to be a character actress and, uh, learned that that was the funnest kind of actor to be. And then I graduated college and I was, you know, kind of like a, I guess I looked like, you know, 
a, a, a mean blonde girl <laughs> with, with curves who should, you know, play people who made small choices and um, uh, kind of played a sleepy status all the time. And I, I was, I think I lost a lot of parts because I was, I would do crazy things in the audition or make big faces that were unflattering or... Um, and they wanted to put you in a certain box. And, totally, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, Glow, it, it it really lets all of our freak flags fly. Yeah, yeah. For better or worse, has that changed the kind of roles that you be, you're being offered now? Now that people have seen you, sort of have some fun on Glow. Yes, yes, and no. It's changed the way that I um, think about parts. Even if I'm auditioning for or I'm offered something that on paper looks like they want just uh, A and B, I'm like, ooh, now that I've tasted what doing C through Z on screen feels like, I never want to go back. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I, you know, I'll make a tape with my eyes crossed and be like, this is how I want to do it if you don't, you know. <laughs> um, and I'm also very, I think that's happening across the board in television, especially right now with women uh, and female roles and it makes me it sort of infuses me with bravery to do the same like you know there was a time where I would play a part and you know spend the first take auditioning for the part I already had the second take doing what I know the middle of the road down the line version of the part they wanted was so that no one would get mad and then maybe the fifth take I'd be like and here's my crazy clown idea. <laughs> and knowing that they probably would never use it and, and doing a half apologetic version of that. And now that I see so many women on screen clearly starting with take one as their craziest clown version or their Joan of Arc soup version and not the quiet Barbie version, I'm like, okay, the gauntlet has been thrown. Not the gauntlet has been thrown, but like you have given me permission to do the same. Yeah. And that is... Uh, to segue totally how I feel about Killing Eve. That's perfect segue. Yes. <laughs> Before, real quick though, I wanted to yeah. ask you: do you do you uh, do you and your mother talk about this at all? Sort of how the world has evolved. Uh, do, you know, does she have sort of a thought on, you know, how roles for for women have involved uh, evolved, especially in comedy? I mean, you know, my mom, because my parents uh, were so grounded mostly in theater. Uh, there were there have always been parts like that for women yeah. in theater. In theater yeah. um, and I grew up watching my mom play the crazy maid in a restoration comedy or, you know, making the craziest faces possible. So it was never an obstacle for her. Um, and right now she's on Broadway in The Ferryman, a, a Jess Butterworth play. And I'm is it Jess Butterworth? Oh, my God. It might not be. Um, I'm so excited for her. And like she's playing a character and. You know, I was raised to to do the same. And so I'm now trying to uh, make her proud. Whereas I feel like I've definitely done, like, sleepy status, tiny choice Barbie to qualify for health insurance so many times. Health insurance is important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the segue, um, yeah, you mentioned uh, Killing Eve, which talk yes. about an amazing show, a show just that, that yeah. came on the scene and exploded yes. that first season. was amazing. Yes, it was incredible. And I mean... It, it just felt like, you know, I've talked before about how I feel like I have like a hundred women in my brain who take turns at the wheel. 
And that's often how I think about playing a character is like, okay, what woman is at the wheel in this sentence or when this person walks in? And um, I think a lot of times roles for women have asked for two of those brain women and been like, and, you know, don't show the other one. Don't show the one with blood in her teeth or the six-year-old that's screaming for help. Those are kind of ugly and unlikable. And we just want to see, like, supportive mom and a sexy friend or whatever. And to me, Sandra O oh and Jodie Comer are operating with all brain women at the wheel, just ripping the wheel from each other in one performance. Um, I just, I feel so inspired by it and like I could lift a car after watching it. And I also think it's sort of transcended, you know, there are so few parts or, or there are not so few parts. I think we've been trained as actresses to be like, okay, only X amount of us are getting to the next whatever. So, Oh, gosh, she was good in that. I feel threatened by that. I feel the opposite <laughs> by all the female uh, performances around me. I just feel like it's opening all these doors in my own brain to different like uh, sections of creativity that I thought were really sealed over. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, from from start to finish, uh, you know, the fact that's Phoebe Waller-Bridge who created this show. Who I always want to call Florence Foster Jenkins, but she's <laughs> the, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. The, the, the three names, yeah, yeah. The British three names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for it to come from her mind, um, and I don't know if you watch Fleabag, but, yes. I mean, she's just a force of nature. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, and then for... You know, Sandra O oh to find such a perfect project yeah. after Grey's Anatomy to uh, yeah to to be the the lead here and right. and she's just having a year between that and, right. and hosting the co-hosting the Golden Globes. I mean, she's right. having a amazing time. And then and Jody Comer, like you mentioned, yeah. who I was not as familiar with, who just steals every scene as Villanelle. She's unbelievable. I, I the freedom in which she makes choices I mean the same with Sandra oh I'd be so curious to know if either of them if they come to set with a billion ideas or if they're like I come to set with a blank slate but I'm so there's no there seems to be no checkpoint at their brain of being like ooh is that too much ooh is that a bad idea ooh I should make Video Village happy with this they just seem so free yeah Um, and it's so inspiring it's so inspiring um, and I have gotten, since Killing Eve came out, so many people have been like, I love you on that BBC show. <laughs> like, oh, wait. You're they thinking think, of Jodie Comer. They think you're? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So There's a Twitter account uh, devoted to she and I looking alike. Someone just on a red carpet was like, I just want to tell you, I think you're the best actor working right now. And just reigned the most. I was like, thank you so much. She was like, Killing Eve's my favorite show. Like, oh, that. That's not me. <laughs> well, how do you feel when someone mistakes you? I mean, you're you're on a great show too. I mean, so. I was so flattered, <laughs> and also I just like I, I I feel I continue to only feel excited and inspired and like full of adrenaline by these women's work. It's it's just it feels like we are, and they this show is kind of turning on its ear this idea that. To be an actress, you have to be in that, <laughs> like, Barbie cell where the choices are small and your purpose is to complement the male lead and to have only two of your brain women at the wheel at any given line. Um, I just think it's 
it's it's flipping the table. Of, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. What do you think about Villanelle? Um, we've seen, uh, you know, because season two just started, and, and we've already seen her, uh, you know, be a, a, there was sort of a softer side to her in, in the first episode right. back, where she she kills the boy whose yeah. face has been burned and, and doesn't seem to have. I love much... that. That's the soft side <laughs> right. is her breaking the neck of. <laughs> right, right. She she was Spoiler. doing it was like a mercy kill. Yes. Uh, and then episode two, she actually was the most vulnerable we've ever seen. Where right. suddenly she's. I haven't seen episode two. Okay, well. So I well, no spoilers then, but um, at least you know we, we're seeing a little more of a vulnerable, but also yeah the, yes. the sensitive side where she does this mercy kill of Villanelle. It's it's, it's to me it's just it, when I see that I mean I I don't know what's going on in Miss Comer's head when she's approaching that, but I to me I'm like oh that's just that some of uh, Villanelle's brain women like um, like when she's feeling mercy towards the kid it's like the the six-year-old in her that's like in dirty overalls and like kicking a can down the road and like whistling to themselves being like oh i i see a peer here and i i love you and feel sad and then all of a sudden the brain woman switches to um the like bloodthirsty assassin in her or the like the 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 evil queen devoid of feeling who's going to fix the overall kid's problem with yeah. uh, breaking his neck. Um, I, I just, it just is so amazing to watch. I feel like what's happening on that show is, you know, when you become an actor, it's like, okay, the best I can hope for is to make a living. And maybe one day I'll get to do a thing where I'm seen for the person who I have like written down on a tiny piece of paper, folded a million times and like buried in my gut. I doubt that role is going to come. It doesn't for 99.9% of actors, male or female. And I feel like watching Killing Eve and Jodie Comer in this part, I'm like, this part is reaching in and I'm reading that little piece of paper inside this person. Um, It it feels like a almost spiritual experience of how good she is in this show. Yeah. And partly because I was going to say partly because you're watching and thinking that's me. That's (laughs) when did I shoot this? When did I shoot this? Pretty amazing. (laughs) Uh, Funny. Yeah. Fiona Shaw as well. Amazing. Uh, A friend of mine who works at AMC actually did a little poll speaking of Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago saying, who would you like to have dinner with? Would you have it with Eve, with Villanelle or with Carolyn? Who, who do you think you would have the most fun with? I mean, gosh, all three would be a pretty amazing. You know, I feel like where Eve is um, in sort of uh, abandoning her more buttoned up self, um, I think that would be a more wild night. Uh, And... Oh, God, Villanelle. I mean... Well, Villanelle, you would probably not survive that night. Right. So, but it would be so fun. It would be so fun. Carolyn seems like... I mean, she just loves a good time. I mean, she's... I feel like Carolyn would know the best restaurants. Like, we'd go to the best place. Yeah, and you would go. Dr- you would drink until four in the morning with yes. Carolyn, and she'd tell the best stories. Totally. I kind of lean toward Carolyn just because of that. Like, yeah. I feel like with Eve and Villanelle, a food fight is possible. Um, yeah. 
I, I, and just getting to like the the Greek level of being alive over you know nachos, right? And um, if you survived that evening with Villanelle, then you would feel so alive, yes. like I survived. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But I love their relationship. Like it's. Yeah, well, let's talk about that finale because you yes. mentioned finale is the the favorite episode, and obviously yeah. everything builds up to you know they they've been you know chasing each other throughout the first season, and they yeah. finally reconnect at the end, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and at that point there is this attraction between the two of them, right. and they they can't quite describe it. Especially Eve is so confused over her sort of like how she feels about Villanelle and and why she's so drawn to this mm-hmm. person, and and ultimately. It clouds her a little bit. I mean, she could have taken out Villanelle. She could have ended it right then and there, but right. she doesn't because there's a part of her that really respects and admires Villanelle. Yeah, and I even think it's like ghostier and weirder than that, like almost supernatural. Like, okay, if we're sticking, if I'm sticking with the metaphor of the brain women, like if there's a hundred in Eve's brain and a hundred in Villanelle's brain, I think ninety nine of each of them are like, I hate this woman. I don't like her. She's dangerous to the other person. Yeah. But what they share one identical brain woman who's like looking across at the other person through their eyes and being like, Oh my God, I've never had, I've never shared this brain woman with anyone else. I've been told, I've told myself that this was the one I should be ashamed of and pushed down all my life. But now I'm, I'm seeing it in another person. I also think that might be the most authentic version of myself, even though it's dangerous and doesn't make sense in this world and uh, is everything I stand against. Um, so I, I don't think it's like, oh, I'm attracted to this person and uh, in awe. I think it's like it's like a psychological sort of soul mirror where they're like, I, I am seeing myself a version of myself that I could never be, but maybe in an alternate reality I could. Like, I think yeah. <laughs> if there's an OA Killing Eve crossover, I think, like, they're the same person but just in two different dimensions yeah. seeing each other, and they're not supposed to meet. Yeah, yeah. That's a season three pitch. <laughs> <laughs> a nice drop in another Netflix show yeah. uh, reference as <laughs> yeah. well. Um, no, that, that, there, there's so much, yeah, to unpack. And, and then, of course, in the first episode back in season two when the the boy next to her like, you know, she stabbed you. Like, why? Right. Uh, and and Villanelle's like, yeah, but that's, she was just showing how much she cared for me. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> just uh, that relationship. I mean, it is the core of the show, obviously. Yes. Yeah. In a moment, Betty Gilpin on Glow, the relationship between Debbie and Ruth, and the impact the show has had on her life and career. From Variety, this is my favorite episode. This is Daniel Holloway. Join me every Friday for TV Take, Variety's podcast about the television business. In every episode, we feature interviews with stars and showrunners from today's hit shows, as well as conversations with Variety journalists about the key TV headlines of the day. Subscribe or download to TV Take wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. It's my favorite episode. I'm Michael Schneider. On Netflix's Glow, Betty Gilpin stars as former soap opera actress Debbie Egan, who's now a part of the gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling as Liberty Bell. She has a tenuous relationship with Alison Bree's character Ruth, also known in the ring as Zoya the Destroyer, after it was revealed in the series opener that Ruth was sleeping with Debbie's husband. 
But as the series goes on, they have to work together. What did you do? What do you mean I left? You left. He went into the bathroom and I made a run for it. I can't believe this. I know, it was terrible. How could you be so fucking stupid? What are you talking about? You're in the hotel room with the head of the network. He comes on to you and, and you run away? Was I supposed to fuck him? No, you're supposed to make him think that you might fuck him. I, or that you, you desperately want to fuck him if only you didn't have a fiancé or your period or an extra set of teeth where your vagina should be. I'm not that kind of person. What, an actress? I mean, that is how this business works. Ruth, men try shit. You have to like, oh, yeah, pretend to like it until you don't have to anymore. Meanwhile, as Glow has evolved, so has Ruth and Debbie's relationship. You know, I, I think about Ruth and Debbie from Glow that... Yeah. If it was a male-female romantic relationship in either show, I think, you know, one sort of fissure or one false step and it's easier to be like, okay, it doesn't make sense for us to be together. But I think there's something about a female-to-female connection um, that is more difficult to just cut the cord or unravel. I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it's easy to be like, okay, we don't make sense logistically, but there's a part of my soul that needs you. Um, and uh, that's hard to um, say no to. Yeah, you. yeah. And, and that makes sense going back to your analogy of the 99 mm-hmm. versus one. And, you know, after everything that happened between the two of them and yeah. the falling out, yeah. uh, you know, they should just automatically like never talk to each other again, hate each other, et cetera. Right. But there is that one that percent that yes. they, they need each other, they see each other, and that's right. what's kept them sort of going with this uneasy relationship. Yeah, and I think both of them in different, both Ruth and Debbie feel pretty invisible and um, unfulfilled in their lives. And I think that to be known by someone in the way that they know each other and love each other ultimately is... It's hard to walk away from when, you know, I think that there are so many, it's like what we're talking about with social media. It's like there's this projected self and then there's a self where you're like, oh, there are a few people who really know me and I need to hold on to those people because, you know, there's a version of myself that I could be, but I need the people who love me to help me be that person. Mm -hmm. Um, so it sounds like uh, your your glow experience has been you know pretty 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 deep personally as well. Oh my god, yes, it's it's been crazy. I mean, it it really has sort of I I relate a lot to Debbie, um, the character. It's very confusing. My name is Betty. My character's name is Debbie. It's the same word but just the consonants are switched and the consonant sounds and oh, and i'm sure people confuse it all the time all the listen, time. listen the, today right now i've been like struggling yes, just remind no, do know, not call I her know. debbie i know i know <laughs> in so many interviews people will be like you know and when betty did cocaine and went off the rails i'm like well okay De- debbie did cocaine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't talk about yeah. betty doing cocaine no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag 2003 <laughs> um no but yeah betty did fake milk powder at play <laughs> Debbie. <laughs> um, 
which was disgusting. Now I'm all confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's what cocaine, fake cocaine is. It's pow- a milk powder? Yes. Yeah. It tastes you, like you, you're snorting milk. Do you still, like, yeah, do you yeah, still you snort, snort the, it. the yes. milk? Oh. It's wild. Yeah. Does it burn? <laughs> it just feels like you're snorting milk. Like, yeah. immediately you're like, and now I feel disgusting. Mm. <laughs> That's that's the the, the yes. that's acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the biz. My Daniel Day Lewis moment. Yeah. Um, no, but I I relate to her a lot because I think both my and Debbie's journey is shifting the way that you think about yourself as an actor and as a woman in the world. What your value is, you know, if the if the world around you has told you, okay, the things that are the most valuable about you are the things that are going to expire youth, beauty, uh, you know, and for Debbie, posing on someone's arm um, and her being a soap opera actress. It's kind of, you know, she was told that the things that are least interesting about her are the most interesting and that all those things are going to fade and that she should just, like, go to Pasadena and be a mom and and not achieve the things that she wants to, to achieve. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but for Debbie, she wanted something more um and i think through glow the show within the show and wrestling she has sort of been able to rehearse and find a stronger self someone who is uh more planted on the earth and more powerful and louder and crazier and angrier than she was letting herself be and i definitely think i have found that in the netflix show glow that um, I realized how much I was really standing in my own way as an actor and not opening those doors to creativity or letting the other brain woman talk because I agreed with the world when it told me that the brain women and qualities in me that were the most interesting and lucrative were, in fact, the least interesting. But I was, I was um, complicit in that. And watching performances like Jodie Comer's and Sandra O's oh and Britt Marling and Amy Adams um, and Issa Rae and uh, Alison Brie, I, I, it makes me um, feel braver to treat myself in a different way as an actor, yeah. and a person. Well, now I'm just I'm 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 just obsessed with getting you cast as Villanelle's twin twin sister in oh season God, yes. three of <laughs> Killing Eve. So how do we? Well, we'll, we'll like we'll send this out to the world. Hopefully, Great. they'll hear this podcast. <laughs> it's going to happen. That would be amazing. Oh my God, yes! Especially the places they get to film. I'm like I shot two movies in Winnipeg last year. Y'all are shooting in <laughs> Paris and <laughs> yeah. Get me. Yeah, get me there. Yeah, yeah. No, and even like uh, from what I understand, this season of Vegas, uh, you actually just shot in downtown LA. So, yes. of, of Glow Yeah. Up. And our outdoor Las Vegas locations were in Ontario, California, which is like an hour and a half outside Los Angeles. Yeah, so I was going to say, yeah. it's like almost on the way to Vegas. Yes. Like you almost, yeah, almost got to Vegas, yes. but not quite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so much of current Vegas. You know, it doesn't, there's no part of it. I guess there's one little part that looks like it could be 1985, but yeah, we had to create it on our own. Yeah, they tore down all those casinos. So yeah, that makes sense. Right. What else are you excited about? Uh, So obviously season three of Glow, but uh, what else should we be looking forward to? Oh my goodness. Well, season three of Glow, I'm really, really excited for the world to see. It feels like 
a fever dream. You know, I, I had when we wrapped one and two, I had a pretty good sense of this is what we did and this is what the show is. And this season I'm like, wait, what did we just do? Like the Las Vegas of it all, I just have flashes of like showgirls and even more glitter than I ever thought possible. And it's, it is insane. Um, but some of the performances in it, I, I'm so excited for the world to see. Um, I am in this movie that I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's called The Hunt, and that's, I think, all I can say. Okay. So look for The Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And uh, I did the, this horror movie, The Grudge. A lot of the blank movies. Yeah. Um, and A Dog's Journey, uh, where I was a drunk mom who's mean to dogs. Oh. <laughs> it was a crazy experience. Um, and, uh, gosh... And then I'm I'm off to do this other yeah yeah good year yeah it yeah. was a good year yeah I I know it's I really um, sat on my couch and watched YouTube videos for about ten years and now all of a sudden I'm working which is so much more fun than YouTube videos I just get a little yeah. less sleep. That's on Glow. Thank you. Uh, congrats also on starring opposite uh, Sandra Oh and Killing Eve. Oh my uh, God, you do no, fantastic, no. Jody. No. <laughs> And, uh, and Betty, thanks a lot for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time.